We're happy to be back, bringing you another episode of Millennium Live, where we sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. Millennium Alliance Advisory Board member Craig Richardville takes the hot seat in this episode of Millennium Live. He's currently the Chief Information and Digital Officer for SCL Health and has truly seen it all with his background on the information and analytics side of healthcare. No two CIOs are alike. So Craig breaks down what it means to be in this space in the year 2020, how healthcare is more like retail than we'd think, and the tools he and his team provide for a self-service, easy, and convenient way to our health. Thank you, Kara. Appreciate the opportunity and uh, thank you for everybody joining. So when I looked at the uh, attendee list, it's very mixed. So we have a combination of payers and providers and a bunch of different roles um, that we'll be uh, addressing. And so with that, I want to focus on first um, a couple of different items, probably define a little bit what a CIO is and what he or she does. Uh, It certainly is very varying. I want to talk a little bit about some of the programming work that we do, as well as uh, focus a little bit deeper on the digital side. And so you'll see me bounce around a little bit, going from topic to topic, uh, dropping in uh, a few points here and there. And what I'd like to do is, uh, as we get toward the end, is really gain your thoughts. You know, part of this for me is to learn from you as to what are some of the things that you agree with, disagree with, maybe challenge some stuff, maybe support some other things so we can uh, continue, you know, with our education aspect of what we do. So first, let me talk a little bit about what is a CIO. So um, as I've kind of been in in the business now for a little over 30 years, it is certainly very situational and is personalized for the company or for the health system uh, that you work for. Uh, In some cases, the CIO, you know, has certainly evolved over the over the years and has accelerated in some cases over the last five years. But if you look at some of the roles, like for myself, um, I was at one point the chief information officer for Carolina's healthcare system, which then became Atrium Health. And then over time matured into the analytics aspect of it and the data side and became the chief information and analytics officer. And it was a rather unique title of, of combining those areas together. At the time, analytics sat within our strategy area, and we still serve the strategic uh, arm of the company, but also focused a lot on the operational pieces of what we were doing, and really started looking into how we would take uh, data and analytics. And as a healthcare provider, you know, the one thing you do realize is, is what you do produce is actual data. And then you inform people to make good decisions based upon the data or their interpretation of that data. So the more science you can put around what you're actually uh, giving people and putting into their workflow uh, is very critical to uh, to our success. And then coming over to uh, the west side of the country and working for SCL Health, which is based out of Colorado, started first as the chief information officer and am now the chief information and digital officer. So um, a little bit similar in terms of expanding the role and the uh, of what a CIO is or what it isn't, but also uh, focusing on the digital. And the way that we termed it is we have a lot of information technology that we call as kind of the legacy, what built uh, IT to begin with, but also the future is a lot of the digital assets that we'll be creating and producing uh, to engage um, our different uh, uh, customers that are out there. And I'll go a little bit deeper into some of that. 
So we, we look at a CIO, there's really no two that are the same. Uh, they're all a little bit different. You've got the information side, which is inherent, but then you have the data side, analytics. Some people refer to themselves as the CTO, uh, and then they have those different areas of responsibility report into that. Uh, some of them call themselves the chief digital officer and have it report into that. Uh, some are separate where those roles are clearly defined uh, in certain companies as being different. You've got the data side, you've got information, you've got uh, innovation, you've got transformation. So there's a whole different slew of things. I guess what I would say is that your CIO, in my opinion, really should have uh, all those different kinds of um, DNA components so that uh, they can relate to, but maybe not be responsible for. The one thing that you learn as you kind of mature through your career is um, the less people you have reporting into you, kind of the more you can do. Uh, and you start building the hierarchy and you start looking at numbers, but really you look at the influence that you can have across the organization. So pending the maturity or how the organization is aligned, all those different roles are sometimes combined, sometimes separate, sometimes partial. And it really just depends on how you're structured and the different members of the leadership team. As you start to move through um, you know, the development, you start looking to see that um, centralization of all those assets, again, uh, becomes something that um, starts to accumulate the amount of investment. And that's really the next point I wanna talk about is that uh, what we do in information technology or in analytics or in digital or in innovation uh, transformation, those are pieces that are all investments uh, historically IT 10 to 20 years ago was really kind of an expense. And I remember one day having my CFO at the time walk into our data center, a beautiful data center, um, just uh, recently remodeled. Uh, it really looked like Star Trek, all these guys in there. And he just kind of looked at it and said, well, that's a lot of money. It's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a lot of money. And so as you look at competing priorities, you know, we just become one of many different options. And that's where I would tie back to the strategy of the company. So when you look at you know, what we're doing and how we're doing things, uh, we are an investment. Uh, we need to have returns. We need to have measurable returns. The things that we are looking to uh, deploy or to engage all have to be uh, integrated with the processes uh, of the different areas, whether they're the operational areas or some of the strategic or service line focuses. Those are pieces that for me, you break it down into three easy components. It's people, process, and technology. And technology is just one of that three-legged stool. And so what you have to be able to do is integrate it with people and create new processes. And that truly is how you start to attain some of the benefits from these types of investments. It can't be looked at as an expense. Uh, some cases it will be, uh, but in many cases, the actual benefit is actually achieved or realized uh, on the outside, you know, with other different parts of the company. And those are places that we have to measure. So as we create and pool some of these investments into one large bucket, we've got to make sure that we can go back and get the returns on those investments and hopefully beat those returns that we expect when we did the business case to begin with. So when you look at what we're doing is, is we're basically a service organization. So your CIO is a servant leader not only serving the staff that he or she is responsible for, but also serving the strategy and supporting the strategy of the company. 
So if you look at uh, ourselves, for example, uh, we have a Mission Forward 2025 strategic plan. And when people ask me, what's your strategy? What's your IT strategy? What's your digital strategy? Uh, my answer is I don't have one. You know, what I have is I have certain imperatives or initiatives that support our system strategy. <clears throat> so to me, there is one strategy for the organization and all the rest of us really kind of help us achieve those different components of what makes up our strategy. So we're an enabler, we engage others, but we're not the strategy itself. We actually are a supporter uh, or an enabler and we serve the strategy. And when you look at going into a little bit farther of how you start to categorize the work, I think when you start looking at the outcomes of what we're doing and the achievements that are made, those certainly get reported back into the different um, pillars of your strategy, but also you have to organize the work somehow that makes sense to you. And in some cases, makes sense to your customers. <clears throat> so when you start going into some of that side of the work, I like looking at three different categories. Uh, one is innovation. What are we doing that's kind of unique, that is a differentiator that separates us from uh, possibly our competitors? One is optimization. So all the investments that we've made over the years uh, that we made recently, are we getting everything we can out of those investments? So to go back through and, and redo some of those implementations or continue to when new releases come out or updates or upgrades come out, you've got to take advantage of what is coming out into those tools. You're paying for it. You know, that's part of the expense side of it. So you've got to get the return as well. And that's an optimization effort. And then also then the third bucket, I would say, is transformation. What are the things that we would be doing uh, within the systems to truly transform how we deliver some of the work. We saw a little bit of that, you know, with COVID and continuing with COVID on the virtual side, uh, many organizations, certainly the industry as a whole, uh, did not really create a lot of uh, opportunities or access in the virtual world. We've had it for decades, but we didn't really put it into uh, the actual workflow and to make it part of a, an asset that would be uh, available to the public to access our services but we all saw that skyrocket. And now part of what uh, our goal is to make sure that that becomes more ingrained. <clears throat> Some people like to use the word hardwired into uh, the different uh, workflows and our offerings such that we can maintain a certain level of virtual service. And I like actually calling it not necessarily virtual, but really just kind of like online. It truly is something that is uh, the same level of outcome and service, it's just a different delivery mechanism. So when we go into, for example, uh, in your personal life, you don't virtually shop or virtually bank. You go to online shopping or online banking or mobile banking. So those are all terms I think that we need to absorb as an industry and start using ourselves because it really is not necessarily the virtual aspect of it. It really is the exact same type of care same outcomes are expected. We're just using a different vehicle to deliver it. So when you look at breaking it down, things that we're doing that are innovative, optimizing, and also transforming. As you start to um, look at how to start sharing some of that out, you really got to make sure that it's digestible. One of the things that I tell uh, people that I've mentored over the years or my peers is when you go into a meeting, 
a business meeting or a clinical meeting and people come out of there not knowing you're the CIO. To me, that is an achievement. Uh, you are actually speaking and talking the language that's consumable and digestible by the different uh, constituents that are members of that meeting. Now, certainly you bring a certain type of um, tool belt into the meeting that you can reference and go into. But if you use the language that you use with your potential staff and some of your leaders, um, that may not be totally understood uh, by the or by the different members of the uh, of the meeting and or uh, maybe misunderstood. So I think it's important that we really start to speak and understand what is the language that of the people in the meeting and that we need to bring us into that. What I've done is actually uh, recently is we created um, programs. So we created five programs that what we call um, partners and five uh, that we call platforms. And so when we look at the different products that we're producing, uh, we have five major companies that are our partners that deliver certain platforms across the organization. We have hundreds of other applications that serve some of that and different types of technologies, many of which your customers will never uh, know about because those are kind of behind the scenes. But however, you know, this part of me is to try to make it very simple, take things that are complex, make it simple to understand and simple to execute against. So we have that. So if you look at the different products that we're producing, we have one that revolves around applications, one that revolves around data, one that revolves around digital, one that is risk, and one that is technology. Those are the five. And if you look at the different partners, I will, uh, mention a couple of names. So we have Epic as a core EMR and revenue cycle system. We use Google as our main technology partner, Oracle ERP. We use Salesforce for our CRM and ServiceNow. And those are the different ways of how we categorize our programs. And we have multiple projects, obviously, that fit up underneath that and put all that together. When you put that in a circle, which is how we kind of display it, with the patient in the middle of flowing out into the different values of our company, the different uh, strategic imperatives that we have, and also those different programs that we have, that all kind of feeds into something that is very uh, digestible and consumable by someone at a board level or another senior member, or you know the different directors and leaders of the organization, and definitely within uh, the hierarchy of what a CIO at your organization will look like. It's very easy to remember, easy to see, easy to be able to explain. We continue to evolve and to mature that. So again, I think we've got the innovation, optimization, and transformation buckets. Then also we have the different programs of which the multitudes of projects fit up underneath so that we can categorize that. Then all that feeds into what our strategic plan is and the different imperatives that we have and how the outcomes of all that work help support those different imperatives and the initiatives that fall in, inside those imperatives. That's kind of how we structure. Now, if you look at moving a little bit deeper into the digital piece, uh, I'll go a little bit farther. So uh, one is, uh, if you look at maybe what data or analytics was a decade ago, there's a lot of hype around digital. There's a lot of high expectations. Some will be realized, some not really expected to be or, or really are almost impossible to achieve. But I think we can all see a lot of things that happen in our personal lives. How do we transform or try to mentally 
take those things that are happening in those lives and bring that into our healthcare industry. You know, one thing that we are starting to do is we are starting to transform ourselves. We're really starting to disrupt ourselves and really kind of move us into a whole different area. So that's why some of the uh, larger retailers as well as tech companies are getting into the healthcare space. And we're doing a lot of that work ourselves. So for me, part of it's gonna be how do we compete with some of the new competitors in the market? How do we continue to differentiate ourselves from the existing ones? But also, how, how are we creating kind of a whole new uh, different uh, part of the company that um, maybe a decade ago um, wasn't really uh, in, in the forecast or in the vision? And really start to transform a lot of that. So if you look at it, there are a lot of people offering different kinds of services that are being revolved around digital. Uh, a lot of companies, a lot of products, a lot of new entrants. And we will see over time who will make it and who won't make it. I think part of what we'll see also is the value proposition and the accessibility to our services will be much more engaging and very highly accessible versus what maybe it was a decade ago. And we'll see that happening in a, in a short period of time. So I'm very excited about what the future of what digital will come in for us. And if you look at digital, I'll just kind of define a little bit about digital health. To me, uh, there's varying definitions, but it's again, try to break things down to be simple and be understood. It's just like how it sounds. It's the convergence of digital assets within health or within healthcare. And it should enhance our access. It should provide efficiency. It should engage um, our customers, our consumers. It should provide self-service capabilities, give them the tools that they need to manage their environment. Uh, and make healthcare a lot more personalized and a lot more precise. And you see that in the different areas of um, our personal lives. And so how do we bring that to be more of the rhythm of life uh, for health or healthcare? How do we make that something that is, again, easily accessible and uh, usable uh, for our consumers or for our patients? And if you look at digital, I also like to break it down into four different uh, unique uh, sometimes overlapping customer bases. So one is the associate. There's many things that we can do with robotic process automation, uh, bringing tools into mobile, mobile environments for our associates, allowing them to be able to have access to the data that they need, to the systems that they need uh, in whatever environment that they are in, whether that's a back office kind of support environment or whether it's on the floor or whether it's in a clinic. There's plenty of different opportunities how we can take a lot of the digital assets that we're creating and integrate those into the workflow. The second group is the consumer. Those that aren't really patients yet, but those that we hope to earn the opportunity to, to be patients of ours. So how do we go ahead then and start to engage those, how to get the interest into how to come into uh, your company or your organization? How do we use those assets to contact them? How do, do we be respectful when they don't want to be contacted or what method they want to be contacted with. So all those different aspects of how we start to um, uh, contact consumers and make them part of our uh, portfolio is important. The third group is the provider side. Those that are actually delivering uh, the care. So those could be the nurses, the physicians, other support allied professionals, uh, those that um, may be at the registration areas, you know, that are front and center uh, with our patients as well. So how do we get all those that are actually touching and, and being part of the delivery of our services 
how do we help make their lives a lot easier and those tools a lot more accessible through digital? And the last one is the patient themselves. And I like the term that the patient in some cases are the most unutilized resource. If you look at back in your personal life, the things you do now with banking, for example, or financial services, you do a lot of that work yourself that used to be done through clerical uh, people. Uh, you do that yourself now, you pull out your phone, you transfer money, you pay bills, um, you do whatever you need to in many cases, just with your phone or on your uh, computer. Same thing with retail. You know, we all shop virtually. We all go online to do a lot of that work. We do comparisons. Uh, we do product reviews. Uh, we make selections. Uh, and those are things that I think for us in the healthcare industry, whether you're on the payer side or on the provider side, it's important to provide those kinds of easy to use uh, accessible tools uh, for our patients that to help them take care of themselves better. So I think that's part of our responsibility is to give those tools to those patients so that he or she can help manage uh, their health uh, and their care that they're receiving. Uh, in many cases, just like the financial services and just like the retail side, um, they wanna do it. They wanna do it themselves. So it's our responsibility to provide those tools to them to allow it to be a very self-service, easy, convenient way. Not one that where you need education or training because none of the apps that we use today as a consumer, do we actually get trained or educated on? You, you jump onto Amazon, for example, or you, you jump onto your Bank of America account or Merrill Lynch or whomever you do work with and nobody trains you how to do it. It's all very intuitive. And those are the tools and the tool sets that we need to provide. And that leads into the digital front door. Uh, that is something that uh, everybody is working on, uh, have been working on for a period of time. A lot of different definitions of what that is. But part of it is really is trying to ensure that with that digital front door is that we can provide access to our consumers who just wanna browse around and maybe look to see what we do offer and how do we perform versus those that might be patients who wanna be actively engaged with their providers or with the different tools that we're providing to bring all that in a very uh, single, uh, in your pocket basically, uh, on an app that allows the, uh, him or her to be able to access those different resources uh, quickly. Uh, and also then to use some intelligence around it. So things that would be more of the AI side or the ML side, uh, really start to incorporate those types of um, opportunities uh, within that app. And we really start to take some of that science of the work that we're doing and really put that into the hands of our patients. So those are all things that uh, I believe on the digital front door that we'll need to uh, start to continue to uh, accelerate and accumulate those types of services. One thing I will say in today's world, one of the things that uh, I think that is sometimes overlooked is really the digital identity aspect. How do we know that the person who is on the other line is that person? You know, in some cases, we don't even know if somebody presents themselves, if it really is the person they're presenting, they may have some information that would um, help authenticate or verify that that is that person. But also, you know, there, there, there are people who do present themselves that may not be. And then the digital side, it gets worse. I think we all know about a lot of the different digital attacks that occur, the phishing where people are pretending to be other companies or other people trying to gather your information. So part of what we're looking at also is how do we identify somebody digitally in order to allow them to be able to be, have more confidence that 
we are who we are on our side and you are who you are on the other side, whether you're the consumer or whether you're the patient. So that there's a higher level of confidence that we're connecting two people together that need to be connected. Um, as we start to kind of close out, there's just kind of a few other points that I want to make and just kind of share with you. And again, uh, we hope to have a few minutes at the end to be able to ask some questions of each other or of myself or just make some comments. One is um, we part of what we need to do on the digital side is we really need to make it as much human-like as possible. I think we've all kind of interacted with the uh, Google Homes of the world or Alexas and have really have started to kind of see that some even some of the voices and the pronunciations and how things are said are becoming a lot more human-like versus very robotic. And I think that's part of the acceptance and to be able to start to mature that. So you start to create some of our digital assets, we really need to make sure that we are uh, making them provide some kind of a human-like experience uh, as possible. Uh, if you focus a little bit more on the artificial intelligence side, which I'm not a big fan of the name artificial intelligence, it almost makes it feel like it's fake intelligence, but it truly is intelligence. And the one thing that uh, I like to uh, kind of reinforce is that, uh, in my opinion, artificial intelligence will not provide will not replace providers, but providers without artificial intelligence will be replaced. So we need more than just the human asset. The digital asset won't take over the human asset, but together they actually have the, the best outcome. And you can substitute anything you want for that provider. You can use retail, you can use banker. AI will not replace your investment banker, but investment bankers who don't use AI Will be replaced because you want more than just the human interpretation you really want the science that is also there to be combined into it to help provide those guardrails for people to make uh, better decisions so in closing you know what i'll say is i have a lot more information i'd love to share but for the sake of time we'll just kind of close it out um, what i like to do is just kind of maybe leave you with one thought and, and that is truly is that uh, as you start looking at uh, the digital assets you're creating, uh, the CIO role, him or hers, uh, that are in that, that seat, as you start looking at the data that we're using, uh, looking at uh, innovation and transformation and all the different things that kind of evolve around, you know, this office or this seat, is that remember that you are not the strategy. You are an enabler of the strategy. You are there to support and serve what the company has determined to be your strategy. So uh, with that, I'll just kind of close and uh, shoot it back over to Kara uh, for any questions or comments that people would like to share. Craig, thank you so much. First question for you on telehealth, given the shift to telehealth, um, do you think that there's a downside to the increased competition between healthcare networks? No, I, I, I think the increased competition, I think we all, um, want to have uh, a larger population to serve. So the one thing that the telehealth does do is it breaks down some of the physical boundaries. And we saw that in retail, right? Where some of the physical assets aren't as important, still very important. People still want to go to a bank or want to go to a mall or want to go to a store, but so many other things can be done outside of that. And I think that is a large opportunity for our industry to have access to people who may not have, for other reasons, uh, whether it's time or whether it's uh, other social determinants, access to a store, to a bank, 
allowing them to be able to have access to healthcare uh, in a much easier way than what they could in the past. And the fact that we now can open that up, I think that raises everybody's game. I think competition is good. Uh, and if you have the great product and the great service, then you will win out as the, the competition continues to increase and your geographic uh, boundaries you know, continue to go wider. The one thing I will say is we still have some separations with some of the telework that has to do with some of the state boundaries and the state requirements. And as we loosen those pieces up and allow people to be able to compete for that service, I think the winner is the consumer and the patient. COVID-19, is there a silver lining in healthcare? What are, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not sure what I would say would be a, a silver lining. I think COVID-19 did allow us to be able to accelerate a lot of the work um, that we were already doing and prepared to do. And so uh, the recent, the previous question was a great comment toward that is the movement into teleservices uh, is something that we've been prepared for for years. We just didn't have the demand or the reason to do that. So I think COVID-19 will also teach us a lot of things. Number one is that as we start to serve communities, this collaboration is key. And when we look at how we compete versus collaborate within certain communities or markets, it's important to understand that all of our mission at the end is really to, to serve, uh, to serve the, the patients and the health and, and the health care of those communities. And so you saw that with COVID. A lot of people who historically could have been competitors in certain markets coming together for a, a greater common good. And so I think that's probably one piece I think would be very important to, as a takeaway is that, you know, together we can really accomplish a lot of really neat things. Plus, I think we also understood the value of data and having the preciseness of the data, whether it was the different types or tiers of ventilators you had. It was not just important to know how many events, you had to know how many types of events or events that you had. You had to know and be able to predict, you know, PPE usage and how that was going to kind of um, uh, mature or evolve over time. And it really starts to look at the data and become a lot more precise with the different things and start to predict what next week would look like, what tomorrow might look like, or even next month and be able to be prepared for those kinds of uh, potential demands, that wouldn't be a, a normal thing that you could have predicted from a year ago. Sure. And on that note, this is a good time to start talking about 2021. We're nearing the end. I know there's going to be a lot of conversations about this um, at our event over the next two days. Are there any technology solutions that either you're keeping an eye on that need to be a top priority as we approach the new year? Yeah, I, I really think um, probably I would say two things. One is the things that we have put in place to help us get through some of the surge activities, we can't lose sight and go backwards. Uh, things start to change and lighten up a little bit. We've got to always be now prepared for this kind of situation. So having all those kinds of plans and surge plans, et cetera, all those kinds of things really need to be, and like we, we all had from years ago, disaster recovery plans that every year we, we keep uh, in tune. The same thing's gonna to have to happen with surges. How do we continue to increase our capacity and capabilities uh, at certain times that might be more extreme than, we, than what we could have ever forecasted in the past. And I think going forward, I think it's the innovation side. You know, I think there are probably things that um, we haven't seen yet, or we haven't brought to life that will be coming to life. 
this is where I really like engaging a lot of the smaller companies, some of them the startup companies or young companies, people that are really thinking out of the box that may not have some um, boundaries already in place of what can and can't be done and really start bringing new things out. So I think keeping in touch with what's happening in innovation, it certainly is a very important aspect of how we want to continue to evolve in our maturity and, and innovation, as you know, are more like stair steps versus transitional steps. So it really can be a big boost if you find the right thing out there. So I think keeping a pulse on what's happening, what people are producing, because there's a lot of brilliant minds out there bringing great products and services out. Craig, thank you again so much. That was a really great way to kick off our event. To everyone else who joined in, thank you and take care. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to check out some of our other episodes exclusively on Digital Diary.